Hey everyone, welcome to Tetsuo Tells a Story. I'm Tetsuo. The following stories are from the Mexican American community. Something interesting about me is that I studied Spanish for six years in high school. So I can read and write in Spanish pretty well, but speaking in Spanish? Well, my Latino friends have said I sound like a computer. So I apologize if I mispronounce any of the words. If you're new to the channel, be sure to subscribe and share my video with family and friends. If you have any ideas or topics you'd like for me to do, place them in the comments below. Without further ado, relax and turn on your nightlights. Please enjoy this episode titled, Four True Scary Stories from the Mexican American Community. Story 1 Hi, I've had many things happen to me since I was young. One time, I was in my apartment with my parents, and my baby brother slept with my parents at that time. I remember not being able to fall asleep, so I was just sitting up in my bed. My bed was placed in the middle of the room, facing my door, which led down to a hallway. Okay, so from left to right, outside my bedroom, this is important because at the end of the left side of the house was the kitchen and the living room. On the right side, a little further past my bedroom, was my parents' bedroom. So here I was just sitting in my bed, making up stories in my head, when I see a figure. It was short, with spiky hair, much shorter than me and I was only seven years old at the time. It looked as if it had a suitcase in its hand. It just kept walking from where my parents' room was to the kitchen. Even though I was young, I knew that if I brought it up or even talked about it, this thing may come back. Eventually though, I told my parents about what happened, but not the whole story. I just said that I saw something in the hallway. From then on, after I told my parents what I saw, I started sleeping in my parents' room. One day, my dad had enough and he sent me to sleep in my room. I was so terrified. My mom only told me this a few years ago, but during those sleepless nights, she also couldn't sleep. As a result, my mom would come and sleep with me. And that's when she saw the creepiest thing ever. While she was in bed with me, she looked at the doorframe and she saw the Grim Reaper. Or something that looked just like it. Since we are Mexican, we call it La Santa Muerte. When she saw it, she closed her eyes tightly. She started praying and eventually fell asleep. When my mom woke up, she told my dad that we needed to move out ASAP. And so we did. Only a few years afterwards, while we were driving, we'd driven past these apartments that we used to live in. My mom says, Mi amor, remember when you said that you saw something 
in the apartment? I responded, Yeah, why? She then proceeds to tell me something super scary. My mom found out that through a friend that they were practicing some type of witchcraft in the apartments. I still don't really know what I saw or what it was. Some small short creature with spiky hair in a suitcase. So that's my story. Does anyone know what kind of thing that I saw? That would be pretty cool to know. Story 2 I'm a half-white, half-Mexican-American woman. I visited Cancun for the first time when I was 10, and my little sister was 8. We went with my mom and grandma one night into town, away from the resort. They spoke Spanish, so we felt comfortable. I remember there were dirt roads and children selling gum. My family came across a table in front of a store with tons of silver jewelry sprawled across it. I'm not sure where this rain stick came from, whether it was sitting on the table or, or someone else walked up with it. I just remember a Mexican man showing the handmade rain stick to my little sister. And after a few minutes, my grandma gave some pesos to the person for it. It was about one and a half inch wide and about 13 inches long. It was cylinder shaped and made of wood, flats on the end. It looked really old and used to be honest, but it was very sturdy. If you tilt it slowly to one side, it sounded like rainfall. I assumed there was rice hitting the little sticks as it fell down. We went back to the hotel with our newfound trinkets. Fast forward to when I was 18 in 2007. My mom and I were living in a one bedroom apartment in Plano, Texas. My sister was living in Michigan with our father. The computer desk was right next to the bed. There was a shelf on the other side of the bed with pictures on it. My mom had been going through some old belongings and placed the rain stick on the left side of the shelf. I was sitting up on my bed and my mom was sitting down in front of the computer. I was bored and I picked up the rain stick to hear the soothing sound of rain and this brought back memories of my childhood. I thought it would be fun to start shaking it like an instrument and make a musical beat. As soon as I did that, I was now in front of a fire in a circle of dark figures wearing little clothing. We were all sitting, surrounded by tall grass, no buildings, just out in nature. Their appearance and the feeling there was tribal. I was playing the rain stick, shaking it, while some of them were chanting a foreign language that I did not understand. I noticed that my hands were starting to become black, and suddenly I was back on the bed, and my mom and I smelled smoke. It smelled as if there was a fire burning in our apartment. We then witnessed a white fog 
slither up the rain stick. We screamed at the top of our lungs. We then ran out of our apartment as I dropped the stick. We calmed each other down, thinking about what we should do next. I told her about the vision that I had playing the rain stick. She decided that we needed to find a curandera or curandero. They are shamans. We figured that this rain stick might have been used for voodoo or something, and we wondered where this rain stick originated from. We realized that we don't know how old this stick was and how many people had owned it before us. We prayed that whatever came out of that stick didn't follow us to the car. We were freaked out, scrambling through a phone book, trying to find a shaman. We drove to the Mexican side of town, desperately trying to find a shaman. But it was past 10 p.m., and all the spirits and psychic shops were all closed. We built up enough courage and returned home. The smell of the campfire was gone. The only logic that I had at this time was to call this musician guy that I was dating. His mom was a well-respected psychic in Dallas. He told me to wrap the rain stick in red material and to place it in the closet right next to the front door. Me and my mom felt very uneasy with it still in the house, so we placed it right outside our front gate. The next day, one of my sister's friends came by, a Native American man. We often referred to him as Ashtray. He knew that I liked smoking the ganja, and so he brought a joint. I asked if he could get a bag of bud for me. He mentioned that he was hanging out with a friend that might have some, but he didn't bring his friend over because I didn't know him. So Ashtray left, and he went to go get my bag of bud for me. I left to walk two buildings to hang out with a friend of mine while I waited for Ashtray to come back. After waiting, I headed back home. As I headed back home, I noticed at the building facing ours was a dude about 16 to 18 years old, standing behind the staircase, staring at our apartment. I assumed that it was Ashtray's friend, waiting for him to come back. I said, You don't have to wait here, my dude. You can come in. He didn't say anything. He just stood there, and then slowly walked into my apartment. We were chilling, watching TV, and then Ashtray returns with the dime back, and we all got stoned. Eventually, the dude I found behind the stairs said he had to take off. He left, and I asked Ashtray how long they've been friends. He told me that he didn't know this guy, and that he didn't bring any of his friends. I was pretty freaked out at this point, and I told my mom all about it. All three of us opened the door and noticed that the rain stick that was placed outside was gone. We know that this creep must have taken it. My sister came back from Michigan the next day. I described the guy from the stairs, and she knew who I was talking about. A week later, she informed me that this creepy guy had not been seen at school for several days, and his parents were looking for him. 
I have a feeling it had something to do with him stealing our haunted rain stick. Story 3 Sorry for the grammar and if things don't make sense. I'm just retelling my friend's experience that he told me. And my experience as a Mexican that I found interesting. My good friend Joe is Hmong American and learning about water spirits and dragon deities of the river were really fascinating. To make it less confusing, I'll start off by talking about his dream. In our junior year, Joe was in this program where twice a week he'll go on a field trip to learn about agriculture and the environment, a kayaking trip and an incoming field trip to the fish hatchery. Those in the Fresno area, y'all know what I'm talking about. Anyways, this field trip was something that Joe was really looking forward to. The day came and Joe didn't go. I remember sitting in a group next to Joe in second period, English 3, and his friend asked him, Yo bro, why didn't you go on your field trip? You were talking about how you were going to leave class and not do this essay. Joe replied, I wanted to go, but I had this dream that I was at Lost Lake and I was swimming with you guys. Then, a dragon princess came out, and she told me that I was a good swimmer, and that she'd rather marry me other than her own kind, and that I swam better than the dragon boys. Hearing this, some of the guys joked and said, My boy, getting some. Joe joked and said, Yeah, an ugly guy like me, getting a dragon girl, that would be awesome. Afterwards, Joe proceeds to tell me that all dragon people are super good looking. He then ruined it by saying, If this dragon princess wants me, she would have to take my soul. And to do that, she would have to drown me. Now, this was a WTF moment. I'm not Mong, so I don't really know about the dragon lore. Folks, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not Mong. But Joe and his friends told me that the lore is that there are some rivers or lakes that contain water spirits and the water spirit communities, and that these water spirits, the physical forms are dragons and they can shapeshift into humans. Is that correct? So sort of like the dragons in Raya and the Last Dragon, I'm guessing. So the lore is that when someone drowns, it's because the dragon spirits have something to do with it. So in the Mexican community, when someone drowns, especially a child, we usually think it's La Lorona that drowned them. Anyways, fast forward to 2014, and we all graduated as class of 2014. Summer came up, and we all went to Pismo Beach. The weather was nice and everything. This totally beats the hot Fresno weather that we've all been having. When we got there, we all went straight to swimming. Joe only stayed at the shore and let the waves hit his feet. 
I told him to come swim because I know that he's a good swimmer. When we go to the gym, he would often tag along and all he did was swim, right? That dude could stand underwater forever. I was surprised at him for not wanting to swim this day. Then my friend Durr tells me not to bother Joe and to just let him stay there. Joe looked pretty bored because seeing how he loved swimming but couldn't swim, it sucked. And the thing is, Joe paid for most of the gas so we can come here. We were all swimming and would occasionally go back to the shore to keep Joe company. As we were swimming, I saw that Joe started to look for seashells and the little sand crabs. Our other friend, Jerry, pointed out and said, Hey, look, Joe is flirting with a girl. I'm not sure if she was Hong, but she looked beautiful in her simple one piece and short. I was checking her out and I noticed that she had a nice turquoise and jade bracelet on. We went back to shore and saw that they were talking. It didn't seem like Joe was flirting. She asked, How come you aren't swimming with all your friends? You look bored. Joe replies, Oh, I don't know how to swim. Of course, Joe was lying. My guy was a terrific swimmer. The girl flirted back. Oh, I can teach you how to swim. Now, Jerry and I kept telling Joe and pushing him to go swim with her. But Durr and Ling kept telling Joe to stay and kept implying that, hey, Joe really can't swim. This girl also kept insisting that she teach Joe. Durr then asked, Hey, that's a nice bracelet you got there. Can I see it? The girl then lets Durr visually inspect it. Then Durr asked, Oh hey, is it okay if I wear it? I want to see how it looks like on me. The girl paused, and I could feel this thick air of tension. And then Crazy Lane goes, Yeah, yeah, a turquoise jade bracelet. Now that's unique. We usually don't see them often. Come on, let us try it on. I could tell that the girl was flustered, and all she could say was, Well, I think my friends are looking for me. I have to go now. Bye. It was nice meeting all of you guys. We all got done swimming and changed out. By this time, it was 3 p.m. and we walked on the pier. What we noticed was that the waves got bigger as we went further onto the pier. Even this surfer guy, who I think might be a native to Pismo, he shouted, Yeah, why can't we have waves that look like this? Although it's dangerous, looks so fun. The waves did look big, and it looks as if they were trying to climb up the pier. We looked around Pismo, ate at Denny's, and then drove back. In the car ride, we were all talking, and then Jerry brought up the girl again. He said, Dang, my guy Joe almost got lucky today. He almost got a girl. Joe laughed, and he replied, Hey now, she's not Ariel or a dragon princess. Come on now, guys. Ling jumps in, and he says, Yo, 
it ain't good to talk about stuff like that. I'm guessing he's referring to dragons and water spirits. Jerry brushed it off and said, It's okay, man. We aren't by any waters, so no one's going to get hurt. After our discussion, Joe slowly starts to fall asleep. I became very curious as to what they were all saying. Jerry replies, Yeah, at the beach, it definitely wasn't safe. Something bad could have happened to Joe. And we all asked, What do you mean? Loudly and out of curiosity, totally forgetting that Joe was asleep. Shh. Dara takes out her phone and slowly types in her notepad. That girl was not human. She is definitely a water spirit slash dragon girl. She wanted Joe. That's why she kept trying to pull Joe in to drown him and take him to her world. I whispered, What the heck? How do you even know that? She types, I knew she was a dragon because my third eye saw right through it. She's very beautiful. Jerry whispers, Yeah, I know she's beautiful, but how do you even know? Then, Der whispers to all of us, I knew that she's a dragon girl. Who would wear a bracelet when they want to go swimming in the ocean? The salt water would mess it up. Plus, when I asked her to take off the bracelet for me, she was scared. Because if she did, her real image would have been shown. The good thing is, one of you boys have on a protective copper bracelet. When she saw that, she gave up and left. Remember how she said her friends were calling for her when she left? Well, we never did see her again, right? That was a crazy experience that I had with the supernatural. And when I think about it, when Joe was collecting seashells with her, he found a lot of pretty ones, but, but he also left them all there. Now, when we go to the gym, Joe still swims, but when the boys and I are going fishing, he always decides to stay home. I hope my friend Joe could marry a girl as beautiful as her, because she was very pretty. But I think Joe won't ever meet her again. Since then, I've seen Joe wear these red and white string bracelets. If you ever go to natural water stuff, like lakes and short rivers, Joe doesn't really go far, only in the pools. This is so fascinating to me as an outsider, and I'm sorry if it was long and confusing. Story 4 This is a paranormal story that happened to my mom when she was 9. She and her family lived in the outskirts of a small town in the Monterey Bay area in 1975. The house my mom lived in was on top of a hill with a winding road leading to it, facing a lake. There were no neighbors and the other houses were a distance away. What my mom knew of the house 
was that it was built in 1927. It was an old white wooden Victorian home. She said that it was completely out of the way, far from Watsonville, California, a small town 25 minutes east of Santa Cruz. It started off as a community for immigrant workers who came here for a better life. She said that the rooms were big, with plastered walls and massive windows in every room. That it had been painted so many times in the house's history that the windows were basically sealed shut. My mom recalls the windows were so high off the ground that you couldn't break into them. I'll warn you ahead, this is pretty disturbing. And if I sound dramatic, this is from my mom's point of view, so bear with me. My grandparents worked far. As they worked in the fields, my mom and her siblings moved to the United States from Mexico. My grandparents often left my mom, my tias and tios, Spanish for aunt and uncles, by themselves, with my older tia in charge. My mom and her siblings were used to being by themselves for long periods of the day, until my grandparents would come home from work. She says that the property around the house had an old barn and a shed full of rusty farming equipments. My mom and her siblings would often spend the day exploring the nooks and crannies of the building and would pretend that they were living during those old times and role play. However, my mom and her younger sister, Leticia, or Letty, talked about strange things that would often happen to one or the other in and around the house. Tia Letty told my mom about the incidences that were happening to her. She would lie on her bed, looking up at the corner of the room. She would tell my mom that she could see that the corner was bellowing as if it had lungs, and she would be so terrified that she would run out of the room. This, this was Matias' recollection of what happened to her. But then, it was my mom's turn. One evening, my mom was lying in bed facing the wall when she was sleeping. She always locked the door to her room and she liked being there by herself in the dark. She said that she would be in that state where you're half awake and half asleep. But then she felt a menacing weight at the edge of her bed. She was chilled with fear and because she knew no one could possibly be in the room with her. She said that she felt a motherly presence that was watching her as she slept. My mom wouldn't even dare to turn her head to look at it because she thought if she looked at it, she would have died from fear. My mom spent the entire night praying that it would go away and leave her alone. This was one of many incidences that happened to her in that house. There was a second mysterious situation where my mom would hear knocks as if someone was in the house with her. She would run to the door 
excited when she heard the knocks, but no one would be there. She said it happened randomly, two or three times a day alone. She thought that maybe someone was pulling a prank, but it dawned on her that they didn't have any neighbors and the closest neighbor were miles away. That's when she became scared. Eventually, this stopped, but it stayed at the back of her mind. My mom was becoming increasingly frightened because nothing would add up. She said that when the door knocking stopped, there would be soft tappings between the walls. In the beginning, she thought that maybe she was just hearing things. She didn't pay no mind to it, but she constantly kept hearing these soft tappings from inside the house, day or night. Mom didn't want to tell anyone because they would discount it and say that it was her imagination. Her mind was slowly becoming fearful to what it might be. One night, my grandparents left to go grocery shopping in another town. My mom decided to stay by herself because she thought it was boring, but she completely forgot about all the things that were happening in that house. Later, my mom was sitting in the living room because her family left early, and she was thinking in her mind that they would come home before dark. She was there in the living room all alone while it was completely pitch dark outside. She said that all she heard were the frogs croaking by the lake and crickets chirping. My mom said that she was getting a feeling that she was being watched through the windows. But the windows were so high for someone to peer or look through. At that point, she was running through the house like a headless chicken, full of panic and fright. And if it couldn't get worse for my poor mom, the tappings came back, this time much louder. My mom was thinking that she was becoming insane or that fear was grabbing a hold of her head. So she decided to confront whatever it was that was doing it. She started to follow the noise from where the tapping was coming from. It was towards the back end of the house, near the back door. As she inched closer and closer, she put her ear against the inner wall of a small, dark closet near the back door where the knocking was coming from outside. And what she told me next gave me goosebumps. She said that she could hear the loud wailing noise of a baby bawling and crying as if it was trapped inside the closet. Mom couldn't even bother to check because she was so shooken up. Then, for a quick moment, the tappings inside the house came back, but much louder, as if someone was banging on the door. She ran all the way to her room, locked her door, and went to get her rosary. My mom waited for what seemed like forever, 
for her family to come home. After that, she never thought about staying alone again. After this incident, my mom was done hearing things. And now, she would finally face who and whatever it was that was doing all this ruckus to her. Yet, another dark night in the middle of the summer, my mom and her siblings were eagerly waiting for her dad to come home from work. She ran to the back door, anticipating her father's arrival. My mom opens the door without hesitation, hoping that it was her dad coming back home from work. But what she saw shook her to her core. She says, at a distance, almost close to her, she saw a solid white ghost, shaped like a woman, floating across the backyard, going from one corner of the old barn to another corner. That corner used to be where an old watershed was standing. Now, that old watershed has been demolished right after my mom and her family moved in. It was knocked down because my grandparents were concerned that the old decaying shed would cave in while my mom and her siblings would play in it. When the ghost woman reached the shed, she disappeared into thin air. My mom was speechless as to what she saw and ran back into the house to my abuela. She couldn't even speak to my abuela. After a while, while the anxiety left my mom, she told abuela of what she saw. My abuela, my mom's mom, told her something chilling. Since my whole family was Catholic and they believed in the supernatural, my abuela thought that the ghost was trying to contact my mom. My mom said that she didn't want to hear anything, nor does my mom want to do anything with this ghost woman. My abuela then says if my mom didn't call out to quote unquote her, this woman would not stop trying to communicate with my mom. This was odd because it only happened to my mom and none of her other siblings. My abuela then tells my mom that she has to say to this ghost woman, what do you want from me? My mom is to say that so the ghost would understand that we don't want anything to do with her and for the ghost to go back to where she belongs. My mom complies and she yells out, What do you want from me? After this, the ghost woman never tried to seek out my mom again and all the paranormal things stopped. Now that my mom has told me this, she recalls that my tia Letty researched about the house's history and creepily found out that there were five children that used to live in that house, just like my mom's family of five. But as if that wasn't scary enough, five of the five children's names were the exact same. Jose, Anthony, Francisco, Leticia, and then my mom's name, Maria. 
Disturbingly, one of the children was killed by a stray gunshot of a bullet in that house that was built in the 1920s. However, the barn and the watershed were built during the gold rush in California. I speculate that this ghost woman thought my mom was a child that died in the house and wanted to contact her to see if my mom was her child. Just recently, last week, we went to Watsonville for a family event. My tia Letty told me that the house no longer stands. It was demolished a few years ago. My mom told me that this will be the first and last time she'll ever tell this story again, as she's still scared and scarred, even to this day. Thanks everyone for making it to the end of this episode. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the channel. I look forward to seeing you at the next episode. Thank you.